Happy new now, one and all. Welcome back to Cafe Penumbra, your cyber cafe where we exchange ideas about current events and hot topics, storytelling, plus all the things. We do invite you to visit us and interact on our sister platform, the Cafe Penumbra Discord server. See the link in the show notes or at seraphimpenumbra.com. Today's episode of Cafe Penumbra Sweet Dreams is brought to you as always by PLC Media Lab. We're discussing dream phenomena, lucid dreams, recurring nightmares, sleep paralysis, and more. But first, it's time for the breakdowns. You've probably noticed that I've been making short format commentary for the last little bit. And the reason for that is that I personally resonate with people who articulate a wry observation about something we may all experience in everyday life. And sometimes it's funny and sometimes it isn't, but that's not always the intention. Recently, an artist friend of mine asked me if I was ever stand up. And I said no, because it's too hard, which is no reason not to do a thing, but I'm also not psychotic enough for that. And that was a joke about stereotypes, but you may have missed it because of my delivery. And I can't help it because my mother was British. And that was a joke about stereotypes and racism, but nobody cares when you pick on white people. One time I heard a comic say, it isn't racist if the thing that you're saying is true. Like if you say that minority people can't drive. Only she didn't use the word minority. Which brings up an interesting point. Usually, the groups targeted by racial slurs are not minorities at all. You know who actually is a minority? White people. The thing that I still don't understand is, why was that not considered problematic? Or maybe it was. I don't remember hearing any backlash over it. And this was someone that I considered to be woke. Now, it was said by a character in a sitcom, so you may argue that she was an actress. But she was also a writer on the show, and the show was satirical, but it's still a racist joke. And because I don't understand where that line is, I assume I don't understand comedy. I do like irreverent humor, and I know that is offensive, but part of what I mean by that is that some comedy is created by finding the ability to laugh at something at a certain point that maybe had power over you that was absolutely not funny until it was. I believe that some things, if you aren't able to find the lighter side of, may have the power to destroy you. And I find that when I share, say, an observation about something, people find it funny when that wasn't the intention. Or I'll say something that I think is funny, and the response is more like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. I also don't mean to judge or harm anyone. I know some of the videos I've made seem a little judgy, and maybe they are. But the intention, like I made a video about how when people say, If I'm being honest, I doubt if they are. But the truth is, I catch myself saying that all the time. So I'm just bringing up ideas in a things that make you go, hmm, kind of way. And I happened to make a video where I said, when people say to me they consider me part of the family, I apologize and wonder what I'd done to offend them. And that was maybe too short and sweet, but was referencing this idea that people have normalized associating with family as a compliment, 
And I was just suggesting with my flowers in the attic family that I don't take it as a compliment. In my family, for most of my childhood, my siblings and my mother would physically restrain me so they could tickle torture me. I know that may not sound like trauma to a lot of you, but trust me, it was traumatic to me. My brother tried to poison me with Clorox when I was four. He tried to bash in my skull with a wooden boat when I was nine. And my mother was on a campaign for almost 16 years trying to force me and at times begging me to try and be more normal. But I found out when I was 18 that I was intersex, and I realized that despite her intentions, she knew perfectly well that nothing I ever did had any chance of being normal. And there is so much to unpack there, but nobody who wasn't my family has ever tried to do me like that. And I did reach kind of a breaking point when people, my family especially, throw around this phrase, blood is thicker than water. Yet most people don't realize that the original proverb was, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, meaning that the bonds or blood promises you create intentionally are more significant than the ones you inherit. People have also erroneously attributed the shorter quote to the Bible, but the point is, every garden variety narcissist will call you family because they think that their toxic behavior will be endlessly tolerated because they are family. So I just wanted to share that, and I hope I provided some insight into what's behind at least some of my shorts. And I also want you to know that I invite conversation. By all means, leave a comment or a question or DM me. I want to start conversations, and I want to deepen understanding, and I want to shed light on issues as I see fit. Being offended is a choice. It doesn't mean that I was offensive. And I have made mistakes, and I will make more. I'm doing my best. And I hope that you are too. I also want to take a second to discuss what it really means when people are triggered by my look. One of the questions that I get asked about most often is my choice to not wear hair. And it's not always a polite question either. And the reason why I started, I used to have kind of a bob that I had dyed black and used to tease it up. But I shaved it in 2002 during a fundraiser for my sister-in-law, technically, who needed a bone marrow transplant to treat her leukemia. I spent some time reflecting on that. Her best friend and her best friend's mother also shaved their heads. And I was profoundly tuned in to how important hair is to a woman. But we had also seen Sinead O'Connor, who, in my opinion, in no way was any less feminine or beautiful without hair. And I think because I often get taken for a drag queen, the fact that I'm not wearing hair is kind of an affront to some. But one of the things that I have noticed again and again, and very recently on my video posts, is that people are triggered by my bald head. And I've always attributed that to that for those people who are so triggered... Something about my existence threatens or questions their understanding of gender roles. I think in some cases the person is perpetuating this toxic masculinity trait where they're conducting a narrative of raiding the beauty. And that gets interrupted, like a wire gets crossed because, well, not to sound like I'm full of myself, but you know how you make up what you don't know. So I make up that that internal dialogue goes something like this. 
Well, damn, that Amazon bitch is looking fine. Oh, wait, just a moment. Oh, dear, you have vexed my understanding of what I think I know about sex and my sexuality, you see, and now I have no choice but to lash out. I don't know. It probably sounds something like that. And my response to that dialogue is this. You need to explore that with a qualified therapist. It is no one's business. Please do not make it my business. But you should know. Keep them comments coming because the truth is when you engage my content, it just drives it to more people just like you. So if you find my content in your suggested feed and you don't like it, there's something that one of your friends isn't telling you. Just saying. Dream phenomena, sweet dreams, lucid dreaming, recurring nightmares. Do you have an interesting or scary dream phenomena experience? Did you figure out if it meant anything? I want to taco about it. For myself, as long as I can remember, I suffered from nightmares. Not always recurring ones, though some have recurred. But they were so vivid I would wake up terrified, which I imagine is an experience most of us have had. In my case, unfortunately, I knew from personal experience that if I went back to sleep too soon, I would fully be able to slip right back into the same nightmare. And I knew that was something that I wanted to avoid. And that was probably the beginning of my sleep deprivation story. I think that quality of being unable to escape the nightmare eventually seeped into the dreams themselves, as if my subconscious mind were interacting with some malevolent force. I was always drawn to dreams, not the scary ones, but just the idea that going to sleep was potentially a portal into an alternate dimension, but also knowing that it was being manufactured by my mind. Part of what, and I've said this before, part of what was so intriguing is that I knew that the reason I could see anything was because it existed, because there was light, and because I could see with my eyes. And yet, when I was dreaming, my eyes were closed, so there was no light, no vision, and also no object. But I could still have these very real experiences and remember them in my waking experience, sometimes as clearly as memories from waking experience. I've talked about how, as a young artist, I became infatuated with creating these images on canvas, but in any medium, in intangible experience. And I've also talked about how, at the time, I realized that creating an image that originated ostensibly in my subconscious mind was restricting the vision because the missing element was the duration of time. A dream was something I had to experience, not something I was looking at. And the point, I don't think I've ever said this before, although it was implied, but was what would happen if I was able to strengthen the relationship between my subconscious and conscious mind, or more precisely, dissolve the distinction. And I leaned into books about lucid dreaming and dream dictionaries a little bit, and I conducted countless experiments over decades, endlessly journaling upon waking and trying to piece everything together like a puzzle. Now, I'm not here to reveal all of my research and experiences. However, I'm in part here to facilitate a conversation about what dream phenomena means, especially to those of you within earshot 
and what your experiences, what your dream experiences are. Not because I'm trying to demystify anything. I just find it all endlessly fascinating. And I'm curious to see where other parts of the collective experience resonate. I will start off by sharing one recurring nightmare in particular that revealed some unique characteristics about the world in the dream space. Now, I really can't go into all the details, but before I go any further, I should say why I can't go into details. Some of you may have heard me say that I'm working on a series of short format animated features as part of the work that I learned how to do in my animation program. And one of those shorts is based almost entirely on this particular recurring nightmare that I've been having for years. So that's why I can't go too deep. But the reason why I wanted to bring it up is as terrifying and real an experience as it had been when I created that concept, it was also because I had been recording the nightmares in my journals. It had become a fairly well-developed story and it occurred to me that it would make an amazing premise for an animated feature. And I am in love with it. And, and here's the thing. Somehow interacting with a story that had been depriving me of sleep for over a decade took away the power that it had over me. And I have not had that nightmare experience since, knock on wood. And I first noticed that while we were in pre-production, and that was kind of a callback because somehow the act of manifesting a nightmare that tortured me freed me from it. Dream phenomena include isolated sleep paralysis, or ISP, according to Dr. Patrick McNamara in a Psychology Today article, is a relatively common experience characterized by an inability to move or speak after waking, as well as by the eerie sense that some evil or malignant being is present in the room. ISP, false awakenings, visitation dreams from a loved one or acquaintance who has passed, and lucid dreams. In a lucid dream, the dreamer is aware that they are dreaming and can sometimes manipulate the characters and actions in the dream space. In an article at DignityHealth.org, the theoretical purpose of dreams may be to fulfill subconscious wishes or interact with messages from our subconscious mind. It may help with our short and long-term memory and rewire connections and fix or delete unnecessary ones, help us deal with stress, problem-solving, or simply be a form of play. It states that sleep paralysis occurs because your brain paralyzes your body during dreaming to prevent acting out the dream, and every so often there is a malfunction, and every so often there is a malfunction, and you become conscious before the temporary paralysis wears off. This confusion may trigger nightmares, which offers an explanation for the sense of an entity in the room. The same article also discusses dream falling, the sensation of falling just before falling asleep, only to jerk one's muscles in response, causing the wake up. According to sleepfoundation.org, a lucid dream and a false awakening can happen in tandem. For example, during a lucid dream, the sleeper remains asleep but gains awareness that they are in a dream. A lucid dream may be ended by a false awakening, or a false awakening may precede a lucid dream. I recall a teacher of mine who was obsessed with what he called being, and it was when you might wake up during sleep to use the bathroom, but your body is kind of on autopilot. So maybe the dream continues, but usually when you walk past the mirror, you realize that your point of view isn't quite inside your body or you might might just start being aware that you're drifting a bit and then kind of rush back into your body all at the same moment 
In my book, I talk about an experience I had where I projected into someone's subconscious mind, which I know was fantastic, but it's the only way I could describe what happened. And among the other phenomenon that occurred when I was at Omega, it really didn't strike me as odd at all at the time. The distinction, however, was that I was awake, or at least I started off awake, um, but it was intentional, whereas I do think astral projection happens frequently in association with dream phenomena. But that's just it. It happens. You don't usually make it happen intentionally. Although there are those who approach it through meditation as well. Also, one time I had a dream experience where I sensed someone was projecting into my dream space. Someone I knew, and I didn't even know that you could do that. And maybe it wasn't intentional on their part, but it was very real, at least to me. One thing that makes it impossible to dismiss such phenomena, other than my own experiences, is when I see a certain depiction in the media, such as the movie The Cell, which portrayed a therapist who was able to project into a patient's subconscious mind. And it occurred to me that someone else has had a similar experience and created a visual work that mimics experience that I'd had years before, or like put into words something that I had experienced but hadn't articulated. I did have a similar experience when I saw Inception. Not entirely. It was very um, layered and complex. but. If you strip away the story, the parts of the conversation about the tools that they created in order to self-navigate, to me, um, and I did enjoy the layers in the story, but what resonated for me was that the writers uh, somewhere in there had done some really good research or had some really real experience. It would be trite to say that they understood the assignment, but it was more like they revealed part of a secret to me or confirmed or affirmed a secret. Of course, it was a big blockbuster movie, but sometimes the very best place to hide something of tremendous value is in plain sight. And some of the best artists, some of the artists that I've admired most have been able to utilize their platform to do exactly that. A little bit more about lucid dreaming. So lucid dreaming describes a dream state where the dreamer is aware that they're dreaming, as I said, and remain in the dream state. People have reported various degrees of control over the dream itself, and there are several guides out there recommending best practices for invoking lucid dreaming and strengthen the degree of control to induce the lucidity as well as control over the course of the dream itself. There has been research as to whether there is any therapeutic benefits from the practice, and also warning that frequent lucid dreams might decrease sleep quality or affect one's mental health. One of the exercises widely discussed for bringing about lucid dreaming is reality testing, which includes a regular practice of asking yourself whether you're dreaming at intervals throughout the day. The idea here is that this idea of actively asking yourself while awake will eventually seep into your subconscious mind, and if you aren't having a lucid dream, you won't be able to answer. From my own experience, I wouldn't say that I was able to invoke a lucid dream, but the practice of triggering them seemed to increase their occurrence. I also read about some research that monitors the prefrontal cortex and REM while people are sleeping and even worked out an eye movement the dreamer can make during this phase to communicate the lucidity in real time. And that is mind-boggling and not really related, but I do have a fascination with anesthesia. Not recreationally, I mean, but when anesthesia is administered, where do you go? Why can't you feel, say, being cut into, but maybe it is related, in a way the anesthesia is suppressing some part of your brain's ability to register pain? At least with lucid dreaming, you aren't incapacitated nor vulnerable as with the anesthesia. 
But I further read, and this was on sleepfoundation.org, mention of using certain types of drugs and supplements to induce lucid dreaming. Though to be clear, that was in a lab-controlled environment. It wasn't like a DIY thing. In terms of the mental health implications, most of what I read was related to sleep deprivation as frequent lucid dreaming. Since it is associated with higher levels of brain activity, you're not really getting the sleep that you need. And the other part was related to uh, the intentionally blurring of the lines between dreaming and reality. And I can see how some people especially may be better off not dabbling. I've definitely met a few people over the years that I kind of jokingly describe as having a channel open or maybe just tuned in to a different channel. And I've had these experiences sometimes where somebody starts off sounding completely incoherent until, you know, you start to listen and then realize it actually does make sense. And you're like, okay, but that definitely started off incoherent, right? And I've mentioned before, and of course I talk about it more in my book, I've witnessed a lot of, especially when I was in the Hudson River Valley, but not exclusively at Omega, I witnessed or experienced some things that I could barely describe with words, metaphysical and supernatural phenomenon between shamanic journeying and kundalini channeling um, and the tensegrity people. And it seemed clear to all of us at the time that something cosmic was going on. My point is, what if all of these things are connected somehow? What if, you know, and the point of the book was this experiment where I tuned into the frequency of the coincidences. So I'm suggesting that I wound up at Omega because I had established myself as a seeker and because I had experimented with lucid dreaming. And so years later, when The Matrix came out, I was, um, I was like looking under my chair, like these people have been reading the emails. Fun fact, and I think this makes perfect sense because the best video games do mimic the way that we live and think, but studies have shown a link between playing video games and the frequency and control of lucid dreams. My guess is the audience of this show isn't really big in the gaming community, but I'm curious about that. I'm going to put out some feelers and I will report back. I also still want to hear, if you're willing to share them, about your recurring nightmares or recurring good dreams or dream phenomena that you have experienced. Have you ever had a precognitive dream? I also want to mention that I did some research into dream interpreting, and I feel like they weren't, they weren't really helpful for me personally because the meaning suggested for the imagery I experienced didn't resonate. I think if you were to make flashcards of dream imagery, you may, be, you may be able to train your brain to communicate with you in that language. But for example... I had a dream experience once where I saw a man that I, um, that I thought looked like Albert Einstein. And there was a little bit more to it, but I thought about what I knew about Albert Einstein, looking for a clue as to what that meant. And nothing resonated until several years later, I happened to be um, in a bookstore and I saw a photograph of Mark Twain. And I just had the bottom drop out because I instantly knew that he was the guy in my vision, but I didn't know at the time. So when it comes to interpreting your dreams, if you aren't familiar with the way that the symbols are being used, it's unlikely that your subconscious mind is going to utilize those symbols to communicate with you. I hope that makes sense. Let me say this. It's more important to be self-aware enough to be able to look at your dream and decipher what it means to you. So if you ask someone else to interpret it, it's really just guessing. So a more reliable way of interpreting those images is to, to do it yourself. On the next episode, 
20 questions. I'm going to send out 20 questions across my social media and we'll review the questions and your answers on the next Cafe Penumbra. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, you can join the conversation as well on the socials, in the Discord server, and on the new Cafe Penumbra subreddit. As always, please keep the conversation alive and remember, it's only a conversation when ideas are exchanged. If you're interested in supporting this broadcast, you can always buy me a coffee or visit our retail shop. Thank you for stopping by Cafe Penumbra. I'm your host, Seraphim Penumbra, wishing you a jolly new now. Today's program has been brought to you in part by the letter 7 and the number blue. Cafe Penumbra is produced by PLC Media Lab.